that way. This actually picks up pretty well. Um, but just so you guys, and, and just in case you're not aware, um, this was Chris's laptop. Oh, really? Aww. This was Chris's microphone. Yeah, microphone, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, um, if you actually look at the video recording of him and Julian Pino, mm. um, this is what they recorded oh, yeah. that episode with. Nice. Um, and you have his little chalkboard in the background. Yeah. Um, and he's in his office with all of his fucking books. Mm hmm um, which most of which are in the library now, which is a fucking trip because as I'm continuing to go through the catalog again and again and again, I'm like, oh, I know exactly where that book is. Um, and he talked about how important that book was, you know, and so now I have this, as a casual observer in Chris's life, like, I, I was a fan, right? Like, I was, uh, I was just like anybody that might be listening to this show. I was either desiring to coach or coaching. When Barbell Shrug blew up, I was the head coach for Sentinel One in Seoul. And so as a proud, super proud Memphian and a proud Tennessean, it was actually really awesome because all of a sudden I'm doing the thing that I love more than anything in the world, which is coaching and coaching CrossFit. And not only am I coaching CrossFit, Memphis is Memphis and Cookville are the cultural capitals of <laughs> CrossFit. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like in this gym, I'm in my wheelhouse, it's the best experience I've had in Korea so far, and people are walking in with faction shirts, mm -hmm. with DEET shirts, mm -hmm. and they're like from fucking New Zealand and shit, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? And so that was a really, it was big for me, which is why I felt so close to them, because not a, they represented something more than just a podcast to me. They represented my oh. home, they represented like things that I could be really proud of in a lot more than just the CrossFit sense. So I was just a fan, but I, Chris, Chris was already doing his solo work at this time and I didn't know that it existed or I didn't discover it. I didn't discover his solo work until after he passed away. So I went to the wake and memorial and then 2016 goes by and I'm just getting my fucking ass kicked as a teacher. And then it was like, January of my last semester teaching and I needed a practice that would kind of anchor me into place and so meditation was already on my radar I was gonna sit down I was gonna make French French press I was already like super into the coffee thing so that was something that he and I shared and I made the decision that like every day before school I'm gonna sit down I'm gonna make uh, French press and I'm just gonna put a podcast in my ears and the first one that I happened to choose was the first episode of uh, Barbara Buddha and it moved me and it centered me and then I was like well I'll just do it again and then I'll do it again. And then I got to the weekend and I was like, well, this is pretty fucking fun. Like, let's just keep this up. Yeah. And so I kept it up. And then for a hundred straight days, I listened to every episode of Barbo Buddha in a row. And then on the other side of that, things started manifesting in my life. Then recess was like forward. It's like, oh, no, this is really happening. The LLC's in, <clears throat> money's starting to come in, people are starting to come in, and boom, 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 boom. And so I credit a lot of what, we, what I was able to accomplish through uh, with recess to just the fact that like, I found him, or as of time to come think about it, like, he's really come to find me. But he's been a... I, found, I learned about mentors. Like, not all mentors have to be people that you know in person. Like, you can follow a mentor kind of like, you control a mentor online. So, like, you, you're a mentor, Alex, for tons of people, whether you know it or not, whether sure. they reach out no, to you yeah, or not, definitely, right? definitely like, acknowledge that. <laughs> you're a mentor. Lisa, you're a mentor in your own way. I'm sure there are plenty of artists that, like, want to do what you do, and you go, well, 
I'm nobody or whatever. Like you're always looking at, but we're all just fucking looking upstream. Yep. You know, and even the people that are that we're looking upstream at are looking upstream at somebody. Mm-hmm. And so Chris has just been that person for me. It was somebody that allowed me to look upstream, even though he wasn't here on this plane. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that was super impactful, and I'm sharing, I've shared it before, but I want to share it again, was if I had just discovered this podcast when Chris was alive, it would have been like. This dude that I'm a fan of is doing this thing that I think is really cool, but when I discovered it, it was like, I kind of know where the story goes, right. and so like every time he talked about navigating fear, or making the decision, or <clears throat> charging towards something that he loved, it was like way more impactful, because the lesson, the real lesson was like, if you don't, it can be gone, just like that, mm-hmm. you know, and like, what the fuck are we wasting our time, what are we wasting our time for, and sometimes you just needed a good kick in the ass, and if there was one thing that I learned about Chris Moore, is that like, he would fucking kick you in the ass if he could tell that you weren't really doing the things that you said oh. hourly that you wanted to do. He did that for me in the biggest way, um, I, as a, as a, I've always been a singer, and he and I were friends for a very long time, like family, and he would come to my singing events when I was in college, and over the years, I would sing at places, and he would come and see me, and, and he goes, and we would always listen to music together. We loved to listen to, like, Ryan Adams and David Gray back in the day. That was, like, our big stuff, and he was like, one day, he's like, you know, Lisa, you're a great singer and all, but, you know, you're really not shit unless you write your own music. And I was so angry at him. That hurt my feet Because I, I, I was like, how dare you say that to me? And then, <laughs> yeah, you know? And it, he, like, kicked me in the ass. And I, my feelings were hurt. And then I was like, he's right. Like, mm-hmm. I have so much more potential. Because I have so much of a story in my life. And he was there for all of it. And he was just like, yeah, you, you, you know, anyone can sing. But if you can actually write music, then, then you really got something. Mm-hmm. And so... That changed everything for me because then I started writing my own music and it really changed my life. He changed my life in so many ways. He pushed me to be better and he did it in a loving way and sometimes a not so loving way, but in the end it was a loving way. So yes, I'm a living testament to his kick in the ass. (laughs) What, uh, when you started writing, how long before you started actually letting people hear you, your own music? Um, well, it was, it was probably 2015, 2014, 2015. It took some time. I went through some life changes and some stuff and had to become a little bit more introspective. But, um, really I sat down and wrote my first song in like 10 minutes that was good, that I would have, would have been happy to show people. And, um, yeah, it was, it was all history after that, but I give him the credit for it really Mm. because he was just like. Yeah, you there's you've got more to give. So, mm-hmm. did you struggle with sharing like your like what you own, like what you made your own yourself? Yes, at yeah. first. I mean, at first I did because I thought everyone would think it was stupid. Yeah, and that wasn't the case at all. It was like the more relatable and the more vulnerable I was, the more people mm-hmm. re- liked it. You know. Did you see that play out in his life too? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he was the realest person that any anyone could ever know. He would he would tell you anything and everything and. I um, I knew his family well. I knew he was the same with his mom and dad. With any, I mean, with anybody, he did not put on a show for anyone. He mm. was he was the same all the time, you know. Mm. Which that that was help. I felt especially special because I got to be in his life for a long time, and I got to watch 
him unfold and watch other people be inspired by what I got to, to be with all the time. And, and to watch him be able to start to help change other people's lives just by being himself, it was amazing, you know? Sometimes it takes watching someone do that to, in essence, like, have the permission to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the thing that, like, he provided... A lot of people know that they have something they want to give sometimes. A lot of people know that they could take action, but for whatever reason, they don't allow themselves permission. And having that come from somebody else is like a huge part of this. Sometimes just hearing somebody else say that they've struggled with it or gone through it or that they've, you know, he was, he was always one to share, Hey, I struggled with this or I had a hard time with this, but then I just pushed through, you know, that helps other people's feel like they, other people feel like they can relate and it just kind of helps give them what they need to move forward, you know, just for someone to be transparent and honest and encouraging, you know? And even still, like, he, while he probably was like that with all of his friends, he still had to go through a transition where he was willing to step away from what he called the blanket of Smith and Nephew. Yeah. Or his company, right? I remember right. Did that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was, we were at, uh, actually, Wadapalooza. I'm going there next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, because he had just quit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was terrified. Um, he had just bought this big house. He just had a baby. Just had a kid. Yeah. And he, there was another one on, and May yeah. was, yeah. was yeah. on the way. way. I was like, holy shit, how, is, that, is that smart? Yeah, <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like I, I don't know if I'm making the biggest mistake of my life, but I'm miserable. You know, I'm going and answering to the man doing the same thing every day. And I have just, I feel like I have so much more to offer the world and so much to say, you know, and he did. He was, he was, he did. He was living out of fear, but he made a big move, and it turned out to be one of the most, the best decisions he's ever made. You know what I mean? Well, watching him, because that story is so familiar. Yeah. How many people are sitting at I their job? The same I was yeah. about to say, hey, how many people yeah. are sitting there going like, well, fuck, man. Like, yeah. I know I want to do this, but I don't know how. So, Alex, <laughs> now that you're laughing, like, yeah, yeah. How the, what the fuck was that like? No, I mean, that was exactly, so, like, the whole lesson thing that you were talking about, Chris, like, right? So, when he quit his job as Sith and Nephew, we went to Wadapalooza, and he had, yeah, so he had just quit his job, and then I had also, I was still hanging on to, like, my PhD, because, so I, like, told Bledsoe, because Bledsoe was like, all right, you want to come on board, like, Barbell Shrugged, and I was like... Well, maybe let me do it like half time or whatever, you know, because I still was like, why well, should I get my PhD? Because I'm choosing this like unknown route. Like, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, and my mom, my family was pressuring <laughs> they were giving me. You a yeah, hard they, time. Were, they were they were giving me a real hard time because they were like, you need to finish your degree. Like, you're you're choosing this this thing that is not guaranteed you to make any money or whatever like that. And um, so it was like a very like unsure place. And then when I saw it, when I heard that like, he quit his job and he had like a kid, another kid on the mm-hmm. way, and then a house he just bought, I was like, holy fuck, like, if this guy has the balls to do this mm-hmm. shit, then I can fucking do this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, pretty much, I mean, I still hate on, hang on, hung on a little bit, but then it just got to the point where I was like, I fucking hate this. Like, I don't want to finish this PhD. Um, and I'm miserable and I love doing this over here. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, Chris always encouraged he was always telling me too, is like, you know, talking to me about being a coach and being a coach. And this was something you, he had brought up to you. And, and like, it always made me mad when he said, like, no, you can be a good coach. I, like, you can be a great coach. I'm like, I don't want to be a coach. It's not glamorous. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, like, coaches don't make that much money. And I'm like, because in my mind, I was like, I was still equating that, like, that, that happiness and money thing. 
Um, but now I'm like, no, that's what I'm meant to do. And I coach You're people. a great coach. Yeah, I'm like so <laughs> envious of everybody he's coaching because mm. I want to be his student. <laughs> people come to me all the time. They're like, hey, I've been struggling with my nutrition. Can you help me out? And I'm like, yeah, well, listen, I can tell you some things about nutrition, but if you're serious about it, like you go talk to Alex yeah. and like ASAP for, yeah. um, but you make the transition, but it, I can't imagine that it was just like, made the transition, shit just got easy. <laughs> and yeah. Alex is really smart. He could probably have any job at any company he wanted to have because of his brain, but <laughs> but that's not the plan yeah. that was for you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the biggest misconception is that once you make the decision, it's easy. Yeah. Like, no. oh, well, okay, I mean, it's easy for you to say yada, 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 because they've discovered you after you've already put in all that legwork. Right. Um, so what did that legwork look like for you? I mean, after? I mean, yeah, I mean, at that point, like, you know, I mean, working with Shrugged, like, that's just, I mean, it's a full-time grind thing, you know? What'd you do, uh, what'd you do for the most part? Uh, well, at first, I was just coaching. So I was uh, coaching, like, their online training programs and things like that, and then, you know, what's cool is like about working in a company like that where it's just only a few people and it's got its hands in a lot of things, like you can branch out. So I learned a lot about, learned a lot about like the internet, like online marketing mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, I don't know. It's, I just learned a lot of shit, you mm-hmm. know, um, found out like, again, like it then circled back into like, I'm just a better coach than I am anything else. And you know, that's led me ultimately to where I am right now. So you want to just tell people what you are doing right now? Yeah, yeah. So right now, I'm just I coach nutrition. Yeah, I'm a nutrition coach. Uh, I actually call myself more of like a like a health coach because I, I don't really think like n- nutrition is the only aspect, right? Like health is gonna be the most important thing. Physical. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything like that, but like you have to be healthy in all aspects and. Mm-hmm. You know, food is a big part of that, but there are other aspects too. There's, you know, your physical health. Like, are you treating yourself? You taking care of yourself? Like, and then there's your emotional health, right? Like, there's a lot of things. And as a coach, like, as an, even a nutrition coach, I'm seeing all these things. And while I don't try to, like, I'm, that's not not every place is my my wheelhouse, but I try to encompass a lot of things, just not just with food. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember yeah. when I was getting some coaching from Alex, he would be like. So, how does that make you feel? <laughs> like, so you're not getting good sleep. How does that make you feel? Like, and I was like, damn, Alex, I need to come sit in a chair and then like, go back and have you talk to me. Yeah, I <laughs> it's mean, great. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. What I do, again, is just like, yeah, I coach people how to eat, teach people how to eat healthy, but I also try to teach people how to eat and be healthy as well. And that just encompasses more than just food, in my opinion. When we label ourselves as a particular kind of coach, or maybe even a particular kind of artist, it's easy to then build parameters around yourself. That's true. And what happened for me is that like I said, I do this type of coaching, and then when people would come to me, I would just say, well, I'm not qualified to coach that, even if I felt like I had something to say. Sure. But if there's one thing that I learned from Chris, it was like, you don't have, like, just share what you know. There you go. You don't have to put boundaries around it. And, like, that's why when he goes and do does his own thing, it's strength, vice, family, philosophy, science. Like, it wasn't, he didn't put boundaries about what he was willing to share. He would see something and go, oh, <clears throat> shit, like, 
that reminds me of this and it also reminds me of that. I wonder if I pluck this principle out of the middle if that would be beneficial to people. And he never second guessed it after that. Yeah, he was always like using like strength as a tool to teach people about life. Yeah, like an <laughs> analogy. He was just an amazing storyteller. He was very good at mm-hmm. to, yes, telling stories and analogies for sure. And even Vice Friday itself wasn't just a food practice. It was right. a health practice. Right. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about health... Mind, mindset practice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And emotional, yeah. right? Yeah. Part of it was just the, the, the uh, being with the people that you care about the most. Yeah. Right. And that, to me, seemed like the thing that he cherished as much or more than the two pints of ice cream. <laughs> well, I, I, we started Vice Fridays at his house. Uh, and it, it was kind of cool how it all unfolded. It's like once they had kids... They had um, this house out in Germantown, a really nice little house, and um, since the kids were little, we would come over, and we would he would cook us a big meal, and then we would he would make us Corvette Summers, and mm. we would like just eat ice cream or whatever, bake cookies, anything, and that became a part of what we did every weekend, mm-hmm. and then that it ended up developing into Vice Friday, mm-hmm. and then being able to see how it's like... It became a thing mm-hmm. that people are actually doing and practicing. It's it's such a blessing to to actually be on the inside and be like, I was there because we we wanted to just be together and we you know, so much of, of the CrossFit world at the time was all about what you eat and this, that and the other and you can't have this, you can't have that and you have to eat this way, eat paleo and all this stuff and we just picked a day where we're like, Fuck it, let's order <laughs> Three extra large pizzas with everything and get all the Ben and Jerry's and drink all the things, all mm-hmm. the pumpkin beer, all the hoppy beer, all the stuff, and let's enjoy time together, watch movies. You know, we would smoke all weed, you know, we would just kind of do all the things and share stories, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And of course, he wanted to share that with the world. And, and he did. <laughs> and it's literally being celebrated all over yeah, the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's awesome. I, I did a little check recently, and I'm sure because I've made a couple more posts, but like the last time I checked, Vice Friday had at least you know 3,700 posts oh, yeah. attached Instagram. to it. Yeah. Wow. And not just that, as I'm scrolling through, I'm seeing people post from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Not just in the States, Europe, Asia, Australia... Um, there it's, it's, it's getting piped in from all over the world. So when you say like the, the benefit was having the culture in the community and like being with people, what I like to express is that if you don't have that person in your life personally, the best thing about it is like, you can go find them Yeah, you can and you can engage with them. Hashtag. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the powers of, even though, you know, social media with its ups and its downs and its pros and its cons Finding your own community and like-minded people has been one of the biggest benefit from all of this um, because you can just, again, just type it in on Instagram and bang, you know, like Mm -hmm. 3,700 posts and you're like, okay, well shit, like who's this person? Mm -hmm. Oh damn, like they're super interesting (laughs) and they seem to listen to the same music that I listen to and like I thought I was by myself in this country bumpkin town in the States or even this like obscure... A forested t- place up in like Norway or something mm-hmm. like that. Like people are all over the world celebrating this, and uh, that kind of boggled my mind a little bit because I'm confident that that wasn't the intention, but I believe that it was the result of being unapologetically yourself. Yes. Uh, I just like I-, I love that a lot. And if you are um, super disciplined throughout the week and you really do like to maintain certain goals and 
and things, it's okay. But it's like, also take a day to just enjoy all the things, you know? Like, it's it's okay to have goals and to, to, to want to meet those goals and to have restrictions and all that. But also, take a day and don't have restrictions and just enjoy what you can, you know? And that's important because a lot of times that kind of resets your brain mm. and you don't feel like you're restricting. If you're overtraining at the gym, you're spending less time with your family or if you're if you're, you know, overstudying or overworking or if you're working if you're doing a lot of internet stuff or you're building a business, you're spending a lot of time doing that. But just take a day mm. and just uh, you know, disconnect. I think the most valuable part of that though is just this the yeah, the connection part with the people like doing things that like do you spend some time with people you give a shit about, right? Yeah. Like do you do things, you know, that make you happy, right? Like I think that's like I think that's in essence like what Vice Friday is. It could be any day. Yeah. Like it could be any time, any place. Like I, I personally so like with me now, like with my my journey with like nutrition and food and health and stuff like that, like I I pretty much don't I, I got rid of like a lot of my like food rules and, and like life rules like health rules I guess like if I want to enjoy something I want to enjoy it I want to take mm-hmm. it in and be present with it and I think that's what Vice Friday in essence is is like being present with with people that and doing things that you love doing mm-hmm. and it can be anytime any place yeah. yeah and you know like goals are future aspirations aspiring to be something mm-hmm. right and, and there's nothing wrong with aspiring to be something. That's how you make progress. It's how you make create change in your life. Um, but the just like Vice Friday, in essence, was a way to create balance for yourself in terms of like the discipline that you're putting into the week. It also seems to be a great mechanism for creating balance in like projecting forward versus being right here in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because that's what life is. It's a it's a consistent like, okay, I, like I want to go Never somewhere. Thought of it like that, mm-hmm. but that's good. Yeah, yeah. I wanna I wanna <laughs> go somewhere, but I need to be here. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if I'm only ever thinking about going somewhere, I'm I'm thinking about things that don't fucking exist yeah. yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. Now I'm going to use that now and talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they already do exist, but you're so busy looking to the next thing that you don't realize that it already exists. Mm. Just like Chris aspired to be a writer so much, but he already was. You know, mm-hmm. he was already, he, and he also wanted to to change the world and he already is you know it's it's like uh, isn't there a book about that yeah, <laughs> I think so yeah, yeah it's, alchemist. It's, it's pretty cool though just to to be able to 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 sit here and reflect on on him and his teachings and the way he lived life because it's really just how we all want to be mm-hmm. and he just made it so easy for us to mm-hmm. understand you know mm-hmm. and to relate to mm-hmm. yeah I, that I will say that the biggest gift that he and, you know, uh, as a broader extension, Shrugged brought to the table was that, like, they made these conversations relatable. Mm-hmm. They weren't abstract or buzzwordy. Yeah, of course, like, they would get, they would geek out on certain science parts, but, like, when you really listen to them, I think the biggest fandom came from the fact that, like, they felt like dudes that you knew. Mm-hmm. And that shit was, like, super powerful because it's like, oh, like, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I know that guy. Yeah. Like, I hang out with that guy to a degree. Like, mm-hmm. I can be that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, the permission part is a big, big part. But, like, 
again, we find people, social media has allowed things for people to be accessible. Whereas like in order to be popular, you had to go through particular mainstream channels. That's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. And that means that like you can find people that have their own mini following. I remember I had this weird misconception that if you weren't the best that you shouldn't even do it. So like, oh, I don't know these random NBA players that are like the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time guys. So I'm like, oh, why would you even play if you're not like starting? But like somebody on that bench is living their best life <laughs> as a role player, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you never had access to a person like that because they weren't the person that they put up on TV. Mm-hmm. But now you can follow the people that are in their sweet spot that aren't the star mm-hmm. and you don't have to like, cause there's some people that don't identify with being a star. Mm-hmm. And so I can identify with this person that's just like, oh man, they're living their best life. They're, they're like in this unapologetic version of themselves and they don't have to be seen as the star. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Chris liked being loud and fun. Oh, he fun. loved to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the loudest person in the movie theater. He would laugh the hardest and the loudest in every restaurant. Sometimes we'd be like, shh, Chris, come on. You know, like his people were like stopping and looking, but he didn't care. He was just loud. He loved it. He told stories. He would talk to anybody. Um, that's the kind of person he was. Besides training and like, or maybe moving from a job to whatever, like what's the greatest gift or thing that you feel like you learned from him as a friend? And then maybe what's one of the greatest gifts that you feel like you've learned from him as a professional? Um, one of the greatest gifts that I learned from him as a friend is that he will be there for you mm. in your hard times. <laughs> he was there for me time and time again. He showed up for me, um, loved on me, loved on my family, um, and he was he was true. He was true. He was true to you, and he would take you aside and and look you in the eye and give you advice and and just take the time to give you pep talks or give you um, just words of wisdom or love or encouragement. That is what I miss the most about him. Ugh. And, um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, it, it's hard to talk about him because um, it, he was very close to me. So it, I, have, I still have a lot of pain that I carry from losing him. But um, he just taught me to, to pur- pursue what I wanted to do unapologetically and um, not to have to be anything for anyone else, and um, that I was an overcomer, and that I should be so proud of myself, and he was proud of me, and he told me that a lot, and that, that <clears throat> I still carry that with me. Mm. Thank you. Mm. You have anything you'd like to share, buddy? I think the most thing that uh, he, as a friend, it was uh, during American Open, like 2015, because um, he came. So him and CDP, yeah, he, they came. They were doing um, uh, the documentary series on like me uh, competing at the American I Open. That video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a, we were talking. It was the day before the competition, and like this has been a goal of mine for several years. Like since I started weightlifting, I want to go to a national meet. I want to compete at a national meet. Um, you know, I, I'm an okay way. I was an okay weightlifter. I wasn't a great weightlifter. So like, it took me a lot to me for me to get there. And but I'm surrounded. I'm there, and I'm surrounded by all these like really, really good weightlifters. Um, and I mentioned in that little interview is like, part of me doesn't feel like I belong there. 
Um, and I've always kind of struggled with that. And I, honestly, I still do struggle with that sometimes. Like, not feeling like, like what you just said. Like, am I the best? Should I even say anything? Like, I'm not the best person. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but what he said would, was very, like, if you don't feel that way, like, you don't feel like you don't belong, like, you probably, like, you're, you're probably not worthy or deserve to be there because mm-hmm. everybody feels that way. Mm-hmm. And that, that really just, like, made me feel a lot better because, like, I mean, again, like, I, I do, I did realize, like, I do belong there. I did work to, to get there. I may not be the best person there, but, like, I did work to get there and I belong there just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, I, that's a lesson that I've taken, like, you know, and I still have to remind myself, like, even now, like, okay, maybe I'm not, like, the smartest person or has, like, you know, all the, you know, credentials and know as much as possible, but, you know what, fuck this, I'm a fucking good coach mm-hmm. and I belong here with everybody else and my voice deserves to be heard just like everybody else mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i think um on a similar vein the uh, a big gift that he gave to me was recognizing how to meet resistance as a friend mm. instead of an enemy mm. when alex was feeling like he didn't belong chris said no take that as a sign that things are right, mm-hmm. right. as if uh, like instead of that things are wrong um, I know that he, he quotes a book uh, he, like Stevens Pre- Pressfield, I believe, is like the art, uh, the war of art and resistance being your friend. So I know that he's reiterating things that he learned. But the point being, you know, just that small cue of recognizing that when you feel the resistance, it's not a sign that something is wrong. It's a sign that something is right because all of the best things in your life come on the other side exactly. of walking through that shit. Yes. Um, so every time I get to feeling that feeling, it's like, whoa, this is uncomfortable. Instead of my mindset being, this is uncomfortable, so this is bad, it's like, this is uncomfortable. This is good. <laughs> Let's take it that direction. And, um, you know, truthfully, uh, I've struggled with my worth in even being the person that hosts this thing. Um, because I respect every one of his friends and professional colleagues so much that to be real, I care a lot about what they think, what y'all think, what Janie thinks. And it wasn't until Janie said like, dude, you don't have to give a fuck what anybody of us think. Chris would tell you not to care what we think. That was Chris's whole deal. And I was like, oh, okay. Um... (laughs) Yeah, and, and tr- you know, like, as a, again, an observer and a fan, when Chris passed, what he was carrying was fucking heavy. Mm-hmm. And try or not, nobody else has been able to pick it back up. And I don't know why, but I was able to pick it back up. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to carry this shit, and, and I'm going to complete this project. We're going to do an episode every week for the 100 weeks. And one of my goals for 2019 is to sell 10,000 copies of Chris's book. Because Janie, Max, and May receive all the proceeds of that book. And I did the math. And if we sell 10,000 copies of this fucking book, Max and May have either a full-on college fund or a really fucking sweet entrepreneur startup. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when I think about how I can create change for myself and for other people, that's the, that's the next best thing I can do. 
is to pay it back or pay it forward in essence to like really care more about this family that like wants this to continue and um, I'm gonna do everything that I can to help and I know that um, obviously having friends like y'all are, are gonna really push that forward but like if we want to give the gift if whoever's listening to this wants to give the gift or live Chris's message like fucking give his book to somebody buy the book give it as a gift and watch what happens mm -hmm. um, because I got his book right over there and as you can see it's pretty torn up and like those pages are getting more worn by the day because you don't read it once and put it back right. like you read it and you read it and you read it and you read it and then you start living it and then you believe that it's possible and when you show up in belief other people believe that it's possible and so that's my intention this year um, and, uh, you know, whatever we got to do to get that out there, like that's going to be my number one priority with this project is to remind people that like you're capable, you're worth it. And if you're uncomfortable, all the better. That's exactly what this is about. Um, I will close the show with letting you guys tell people how they can find you. Cause that's like what everybody, everybody <laughs> does in the pocket. Where can people find you? Lisa, you want to tell them where they can find you? Yes. Um, you can find me on the socials. I'm on Instagram at it's Lisa Mac I T S L I S A M A C. I'm on uh, Facebook. Um, I'm a musician and I'm a photographer, and um, I do have a website, um, LisaMacMusic.com. And you can find her music on Spotify. Yes, and iTunes, all the things. And you can find me at recess working out. <laughs> Let's go. Hey <laughs> Mac, what's up? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Alex Q. Macklin, and then on my website at alexmacklin.com. And if you're interested in coaching, uh, alexmacklin.com slash coaching. That's where you can find me. Cool. Um, I'm Brooks Meadows, and if you want to learn more about my gym, it's Recess901. Of course, the podcast is Barbell Booter Rediscovered. Um, please go and rate us five stars. That'll help us get found. If you'd like, leave a kind comment. Um, if you don't have a kind comment, maybe shoot that shit to me in a DM. <laughs> um, and I will take your feedback and I will, uh, I will implement it. Um, the best way that we can honor Chris is to act. And so that's what this podcast is about, is about action. I'm going to act each week. Uh, I hope that this will compel people to do the same. So thank you so much thank for spending you. some time with me. I appreciate this. Thank I know you. that people get a lot of value out of this. And I will catch up with them next week. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Peace. Side note, I didn't even know we were recording. I know. <laughs> it's like I halfway through. I didn't either. <laughs>